0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Utility Safety In-Depth, where we take a deeper dive into topics recently covered in Incident Prevention Magazine. I'm Kate Wade, the editor of Incident Prevention and your host for this podcast. In this episode, we sit down with Lee Marcheseau and Jeff Cease, who contributed an article to the August-September 2021 issue of Incident Prevention about managing risk through cognitive impairment testing. Lee is the president of Vermont-based Workplace Safety Solutions, and Jeff is the chief operating officer of the Colorado-based Predictive Safety. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: So uh, let's just dive right in. Lee, in the first part of the article, you write that often after an incident in the quest to determine a root cause, we find that there were adequate written procedures in place and effective training was completed. So my question is, if employers do have the appropriate written procedures and training in place, what other factors do they need to consider when determining why an incident occurred?
1: Well, thank you, Kate. Um, So that's where the STEP risk management pyramid comes in. We utilize regulations and standards as a minimum base uh, to develop our comprehensive policies, procedures, and written programs, and then design training programs around those documents and make them interactive as possible so that they're effective as, as we can make them so getting to your question well we really can't stop there that's that's just a, a small piece of uh, of, the, of the puzzle we need to put together a safety committee with a with the idea that we'll use the most powerful employees to run it those folks that uh that may be union stewards and and things that uh and in positions where people listen uh and then some people call these folks uh troublemakers but I see them as opportunities for success. And so that's something to consider. Uh, The safety committee should be also involved in making recommendations for uh, most safety related functions including tools and equipment, real life incentive programs like recognition for safe work practices. uh, Of course, not uh, being sure not to base this program on lagging indicators uh, and fitness for duty policies. Um, Some some of these items would uh, also require negotiations with unions, of course, uh, so that's something that has to be considered. We also need to audit our programs to make sure that the programs and training are effective. Uh, And if not, consider options for focusing on corrective action policies and uh, making sure that we do correct those. Uh, Lastly, we wanna focus on people rather than programs and statistics. And that's the very top of the pyramid Uh, and and is a key factor for success. Um, This is where we need help. Uh, We can't control what's going on in employees' personal life, but that can sure have an impact on uh, their work performance, no matter how trained and safe they are. And this is where the cognitive testing comes into play.
0: Thanks for that, Lee. Um, So given that consideration of human factors, including cognitive impairment, have to be part of an incident analysis, What kind of options do employers have today if they want to assess their employees cognitive
2: function? Sure, I can go ahead and answer that, Um, you know, the the thing that is really interesting when we talk about cognitive impairment is that it's much more than people uh, think it is on the surface. Generally, when people hear the term cognitive impairment, the first thing they go to is drugs or alcohol. And while drugs and alcohol are certainly a concern in the workplace, they're not nearly as big a factor as other human factors that can be coming into play. Just a simple rough morning where your kid is being a jerk and the traffic is horrible and you got a flat tire. Uh, You get to work and you're mad at the world and you can't get your head in the game. You know, a day like that can cause uh, people to lose attention and lose focus and and end up in a a pretty serious situation. So when we really look at uh, what tools are out there for assessing cognitive function, um, there isn't a lot. Uh, Historically, people have really depended on uh, supervisory skills meaning a supervisor will check in with a with a with a worker at the beginning of the day and they'll assess their behavior they'll assess how they're performing and they'll have a chat with them and usually supervisors get to know their people and it's a big part of safety training or these types of safety conversations that happen but that opportunity doesn't happen all the time and many times supervisors aren't necessarily comfortable in uh, having a conversation with a worker who may be exhibiting uh symptoms that looks like they're off their game again it may not be drugs or alcohol but that's a tough conversation for a supervisor to have and so really that's where we come in with um, this cognitive uh testing tool that allows people to be able to take a 60-second assessment at the beginning of each day and it's all computerized and it allows them to uh inform the supervisor if they're not performing today to their normal cognitive capacity.
0: So can you, Jeff, give me some more background about the birth of alert meter um, and what makes it kind of unique for people specifically in the electric utility industry?
2: Yeah, absolutely. An alert meter really does cut across industries, but we feel that uh, in the electric and the utility industry, um, it has a, has a special place just because of the nature of the business being as dangerous as it is. Um, but the history is pretty fascinating. It actually got its start as a result of the Exxon Valdez incident. So for those of you that that have a little bit of gray hair, you probably all remember what that is, but if you don't, it was a big uh, oil tanker that uh, went ashore up in Alaska and uh, created big problems for the world. Um, The inventor of the alert meter was in the maritime industry when that incident happened. And he had a desire to bring a technology to the maritime industry that would in effect allow uh, vessel pilots to self-test and check their cognitive acuity at the beginning of each one of their shifts. Um, If you aren't aware, the uh, root cause of the Exxon Valdez incident was that the vessel pilot was uh, somewhat hungover and had uh, not had not had enough sleep the night before. So he went out and looked for technologies that he could then take back to the maritime industry. And he went to NASA and he went to the US military and he asked them, you know, what do you guys have to uh, be able to test your astronauts before a spacewalk or to be able to test your soldiers before a, a mission? And they shared with him this idea of a psychomotor vigilance test. Now, for those of you that have never heard that term before, feel free to Google psychomotor vigilance test and <laughs> even put in the term NASA there. And you get all sorts of information. Um, and it's a very, very uh, effective way to be able to assess somebody's cognitive capacity. Um, and oftentimes, it's used uh, uh, today in, um, in the medical environment to check for early onset, uh, onset dementia, um, Alzheimer's, um, concussion protocol. So there's a lot of different fat, uh, uses for a psychomotor vigilance test. The problem at the time, though, was that uh, the psychomotor vigilance tests that were available on the market all took anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes to execute. So I kind of have a feeling that most of the people listening to this podcast really aren't going to afford the time to have their workforce take 20 minutes before they start their job. So. Um, the inventor, his name was Henry Bowles, and he thought, "This well, there's got to be a way to get around this. So he went to the National Institute of Occupational Health and Safety, NIOSH. It's kind of the safety arm of OSHA. And he basically told him what he wanted to do. And he said, look, I want to create a psychomotor vigilance test that's going to work in a commercial environment. And they thought it was a pretty good idea. So they actually gave them millions of dollars, and they said, look, if we're going to do this thing, then there's going to have to be some factors that have to uh, be part of this test. And they said, well, one of the factors is that it has to be um, non-discriminatory. So it doesn't matter if you have a fifth grade education or if you have a Ph.D. in computer science, it, it evaluates everybody equally. That was one of the factors. The other factor was it needs to be not a medical device. And that was really specific because if you put a medical device out there, there's all sorts of you know EEOC regulations and things like that that would prevent a corporation oh from being able to utilize it on a daily basis. So it needed to be more of an engaging thing that people can do. Thirdly, it needed to be something that happened within 60 to 90 seconds if it was gonna be put into production. And finally, the uh, last requirement was that it had to have and I like this one, a low annoyance factor, meaning that if all your workforce is going to utilize this thing, it needs to be kind of fun and it needs to be something that's engaging that, that people will really uh, you know, adopt and embrace and uh, be able to get personal feedback and also provide leadership aspects to it as well. And that actually was the final thing is, is it had to have management tools. So somebody that was struggling today and uh, couldn't score yeah, or, as day around day. the norm for their personal baseline, it would generate a notification to a manager, supervisor, safety director, whoever it needed to be to uh, have a safety conversation. And that's really where the magic of it comes into play are those safety conversations.
0: Okay. So a lot
2: of history there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of history, but thank you. That was really interesting. Um, So, you know, in the article that the cognitive impairment test done using the alert meter is approximately 60 seconds in length. Can you share how the test is conducted and what the user experience is like?
2: Yeah, you bet. So the first thing to know about alert meter is that it is language independent. So it's all, um, it has a series of shapes in it. And those shapes were actually part of the NIOSH study and part of the science behind it so there's squares and circles and there's circles with lines through them and triangles with dots in them and all sorts of different shapes in this thing but there's only so many of them and the way that you take the test is you you the screen pops up and it asks you are all the shapes that you see on the screen the same or is one of them different and we have two different formats but the uh, one I'll talk about today is on the, is a tablet-based format, and it really looks like a checkerboard. On and on each of the squares, like if you had checkers on the board, it would show a shape, and they're in different angles. But you choose the shape that's different, and by just by touching it. Or if they're all the same, you touch the button that says they're all the same. And what it's evaluating is your speed and your accuracy in choosing the right question. Did I get it right or did I get it wrong? Are they all the same or is one of them different? Um, it's also looking at situational awareness. When you scan the screen, it's, it's paying attention to where you are situationally. And the most important aspect, and this goes again back to the NIOSH study, is your proclivity to certain shapes. So I might see square shapes easier than you might see round shapes. Um, Or vice versa, you might see the square shapes differently than I see the round shapes. And the result is that it builds a baseline of performance for each individual, where it knows how I respond to certain types of shape patterns, and what my normal timing is, and what my normal response is, so that you're never being evaluated against anybody else. So generally, in the work environment, people come to work, they clock in, and depending on how the the environment is set up they might either um, go to a tablet at their work state you know at at their facility and they would play the 60 second game Um, or if they are uh, getting in a vehicle at the beginning of their day and going out to a job site they can pull out their phone and they can take the alert meter assessment on their phone either way it's all real time and if they struggle performing as they normally perform two times in a row, then a notification is going to go to their supervisor. And the protocol is not uh, punitive in nature in any way at all. It's just simply giving the supervisor a heads up that I've got somebody on my crew that may be struggling a little bit today. It does not identify the impairment. And like I said, it could be an emo- a, you know, a personal stressor where, uh, you know, they didn't get enough sleep last night, their their spouse made him stay up until four in the morning watching Netflix, Um, you know, it could be a sick kid, Um, or, you know, maybe they are hungover. Um, But none of that comes through on the alert meter. All that comes through is this person is struggling a little bit today, and you need to have a conversation with them. And the magic really happens in that conversation by giving the supervisor an objective tool to engage uh, with a worker in a way that is is non-judgmental and it's very, very objective to say, hey, I got the note that you struggled on the alert meter this morning and the worker knows they struggled on the alert meter morning this morning and they can have a really open and objective conversation about safety and what to do for the day.
0: Do you? Um, this is just my own curiosity. Do you, as a company, offer recommendations to employers when they have to have these conversations with somebody who who might have, you know, failed the test for the day? Do you offer any kind of um, suggested conversation starters to start that conversation between the employer and the employee?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the first thing I'll say is that we we don't use the word fail ever. Okay. Um, When somebody, no, but that's great. Um, I'm glad you asked that that way, because when somebody struggles uh, with the test, they're really not failing. They're just performing differently than they normally perform. And it could be from a variety of factors. And so in terms of how that conversation is handled, um it really boils down to how the company wants to approach it and how they want to coach their their supervisors but yeah we certainly provide coaching and training and i know that lee also provides uh services to uh provide folks uh some feedback on that And lee why don't you go ahead and kind of jump in on that
1: oh thanks jeff uh so so this would probably depend on the individual company's corrective action policy Uh, So these are usually positive kinds of policies, so they would probably need to modify that to account for um, uh, uh, impairment indications and things like that, Uh, but keep it on a positive level, uh, and that would probably need to be negotiated where you have union shops and things like that, Uh, so that would be considered, but it it just really should still remain positive and, and try to keep it in that light.
0: I wanted to ask real quick how you two linked up, like how your companies found out about one another and how you guys work together.
1: You want me to take that one, Jeff? Go ahead, Lee. Absolutely. I I read about this product uh, or I don't know if you call it a product or a system or, but the cognitive impairment testing. And I, uh, I, and I was going to use this uh, as a discussion later on, but uh, not very many things get me excited in the safety field. And uh, because there's not a lot of new things that come out and uh, this did, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I said, that's the missing piece. That's the part that we're not able to get all the things that we talk about with the with the uh, risk management pyramid, all great stuff, but we're missing that piece. We're still not getting to the people the 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 things that cause them to uh, to to work riskier than they normally would, that is that's outside our control and this gets there, and that's very exciting to me. So I I contacted Jeff and uh, we had a good conversation right. about the product and I got even more excited and uh, you know uh, so I hope it takes off for the utility industry because I work storms for many many hours and uh, and and very often more than thirty hours. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I know that I was cognitively impaired, but I still kept working anyways. And this, you know, as a tool to use every eight or twelve hours uh, in a storm, you can say, "Hey, uh, you need to take a two-hour nap. We'll take another test, and let's let's go from there." That that can save lives, and that's just the bottom line.
0: Awesome. Thank you for for explaining that to me. Um, do you? And- Oh, go ahead,
2: Jeff. Yeah, and, and Kate, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but oh, uh, just kind okay. of a, a little bit of a follow-up on uh, your your previous question on how people handle it. And one of the things that people oftentimes when they first see the alert meter that they don't really understand is they think, oh, gosh, we need to have all sorts of new policies and new procedures, and it's a big HR thing, and we've got a lot of legal concerns around how this is going to work. But once they understand the product, what they realize is that, oh, all of the policy and procedure is already there. And so if you think about a safety line out in the morning or a stretch and flex where you've got a crew of folks and you've got somebody leading the stretch and flex, and they notice that somebody's kind of nodding off or really not paying attention, well, you've already got a protocol to go ahead and have a chat with that person and make sure that they're going to be okay through the day. And if you discover in that chat that there's uh, something amiss or something that's going to become a safety concern for that individual that day, there's already policy and procedure to handle that. So um, I just want to make sure that everybody listening to this, it's really clear that, that Alert Meter does not introduce a whole lot of new policies and a new, new HR concerns or legal concerns because you're already doing this. This is just a way for supervisors to be able to have an indicator as to who I should have a conversation with or who might be struggling today, particularly when they don't have eyes on their people. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, that's actually a good segue to my next question. And, you know, I'm sort of curious about how widespread the use of alert meter is in the utility industry right now. Um, because I, I would imagine based on on what you're saying and for some other reasons that there's been some um, perhaps some pushback on the part of employers and employees who aren't entirely sold um, on the idea of cognitive testing or the alert meter And so I, I'm curious about how you respond to that kind of pushback Jeff
2: yeah, absolutely and the pushback is usually uh, you know in a couple of areas One is, They're concerned about HR and legal, as I just mentioned, that, that, you know, can our company adopt this? Is it going to create a legal pitfall for us? Is it going to open up liability? It's kind of the head in the sand kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And really what we, you know, and probably one of the biggest concerns people would have is, oh, so somebody takes the alert meter test and they come up in the red and we call it scored outside the normal range. And we have the conversation and the, the worker says, no, look, I was just really distracted this morning, but I can get my head in the game and I'm going to be good. So they put in kind of interventions where the manager is going to be more engaged with them throughout the day. But then an accident happens anyway. Okay, mm-hmm. And accidents are going to happen and people are concerned that, well, now I'm more liable because I have this alert meter there. And it said, you know, maybe the guy shouldn't have been working. Really, at the end of the day, the, what we hear back from legal folks and, and other industry is, and, and we've had quite a few opinions on this, just the fact that you're putting in this protocol puts you head and shoulders above pretty much everybody else when it comes to safety. The other thing that we're starting to see is that the ability to do this and to use alert meter within your workplace to prevent accidents is ultimately going to become like the use of radios when it comes to safety. You know, There was a really interesting lawsuit uh, that was back in the 20s where a tugboat uh, had an accident. And in the lawsuit, the judge said, well, you should have had a radio because everybody else has got radios and you knew that radios could save lives. And so we see ultimately that, that use of tools like the alert meter are going to be viewed in that respect. The other concern that companies have is adoption. Are, are workers going to uh, embrace this? Are they going to uh, feel like Big Brother is watching? Uh, is this going to cause a rift in the workplace and, and, and favoritism? People are concerned about uh, uh, discrimination. Well, I've got some really smart people, and I've got some other people that you know, while they're smart, they don't have the background in computers that other folks do. Um, But what these companies find once they do a little bit more research or potentially engage in a pilot project is that it does evaluate everybody equally, so all of those concerns go away. They find that in appropriate implementation that it creates an environment of um, cooperation and support for the workforce, where they see that, that the company is really has their back. And we really look at Alert Meter in two ways, and this is where people really get on board and they really start adopting it. One is it's a way to get personal feedback on where my head is at today. So a lot of people are wearing Fitbits or Garmin's or Apple Watches that give them feedback on their, their physicality and sleep and steps and all those types of things. But none of those things have any indication where your mental state is. And when I talk to workers in the utility industry or in other union type uh, shops, you know, one of the questions I'll ask them is say, you know, when you start your day at the beginning of every day, what do you do? And they say, well, you know, before I get on my equipment, I check my equipment. I do my inspections. I check the tires. I check my chains. I check all the other things that I have to do. And I said, well, what is one piece of equipment that maybe you're not checking? And after a little while, they get back to, wow, I haven't really checked my brain. And Alert meter gives uh, workers an ability to check their brain. And a lot of people say that it's a bit of a wake-up call. Just the act of, of taking the test, if they're having a bad morning, is a focusing event for them to say, hey, look, I'm at work now. I need to get focused. This is a way for me to get focused. And, and we get a lot of great feedback. The other side outside of this personal feedback aspect is many of our clients tell us that at the end of the day, what Alert Meter is, is a leadership tool, more than even a cognitive impairment uh, tool. It's a leadership tool that engages leadership in a way that formerly was not really possible. And it's particularly a leadership tool in today's society where You have a lot of people that are being pushed into supervisory positions that may not quite be ready for that, but there's a labor shortage, so they have to do this. And they might not be all that comfortable in managing people or calling people out if they don't seem to be on their game. And again, Alert Meter provides kind of a level of protection for those supervisors to say, hey, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this situation. And I have an objective way to do so. So, um, yeah, we get lots and lots of positive feedback, um, but it does take a little bit of thinking for companies to get their head around it.
0: Yeah, I I totally understand that. And thank you for explaining all of that. It was very um, informative. So I I think we've covered a lot of ground here this morning, but before we close out this episode of the podcast, do either of you have any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners?
1: Uh, Sure. I have just just one final thing. I I think this is, uh, we can certainly convince everyone of the effectiveness of this product. Um, And there's a lot of high hazard industries out there, but we're talking about uh, electric utilities tree trimmers, there's a lot of accents with line clearance tree trimmers that, that could use this product. Uh, telecommunications, uh, contractors, utility contractors. Uh, so um, I think that they can uh, this can reduce risk of injuries and fatalities and provide uh, a means to increase the likelihood of going homes to our fa- home to our families and that's really what it comes down to uh and uh, so so i that's that's my final thought it's a it's an exciting product uh and, and i don't know if i'm saying that right jeff but uh but i'm excited about <laughs> it and i think it's going to change the industry uh so good luck with that for sure
2: well lee thank you for for that um yeah it is an exciting product we've been at this now for about 15 years uh, doing all the trials and the research and making it work in the mining environment initially, a lot of work down in South Africa and some really, really big environments. And uh, we really just brought this to, uh, um, to market in the last year and a half. And so uh, being able to have this exposure to the utilities industry and being able to introduce this to, to all the folks that are out there working around power lines and, and dangerous equipment, Um, really uh, it means a lot to us because it's fun to do something that can ultimately save lives, you know, and that's what we're all about.
0: A hundred percent. Well, thanks so much for for both of you being here today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, As a reminder to our listeners, uh, the article is now available in the August-September issue of Incident Prevention, which can be accessed online at incident-prevention.com. Until next time, stay safe and be well. The views, information and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of utility business media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.